Shalom to all. Today's office about Muhammad Kuf Gimel, and we are starting about the 17th line with the words of Kahano. And today's office sponsor, Lili Nishmas, Mars Miriam Sarah, Basar Yaakov, Maisha, Hernish, Shama should have an Uliyah, Elili Nishmas, Mars Freda Chayabela, Basar Yitzchak Tzvi, Hernish, Shama should have an Uliyah. Now we're going to bring up a situation that seems to be similar to something that we learned yesterday. Rav Kahano, Yav Zuzak Kisna, Rav Kahano paid money for flax. Lasaif Iker Kisna. Later on, flax went up in value. Zavnim Rav Asa the Kisna, the original owner of the flax, sold it to somebody else, and he didn't give the flax to Rav Kahano. So Rav Kahano basically paid for something that he never received, and that thing was sold to somebody else. Now, the original owner of the flax seemed to be somewhat of an honest guy, and he took the money that he made from the sale and brought it to Rav Kahana, because really, it's Rav Kahana's money. So also, came to Rav, Rav Kahana came to Rav, and Arbalea asked him, my Yavid, what should I do? Should I take my money? And his question is, maybe this looks like Ribis, because if you put on different glasses, what happened over here? Rav Kahana gave money to this person, the person held on to the money for a while, and then sometime later, returned more money to Rav Kahana. And that seems to be like classic case of Ribis, lending $10 and receiving 20. So Amalei Rav told him, Ikozavni, if when they were buying the flax, meaning these other people were buying the flax from the fellow who you bought it from, Amri, they said, hi, kiss the Kahana, who, this is Kahana's flax, Zilshkal, so you could take the money. Viloi, but if they didn't say that, Loi Teshkal, you can't take the money. That's because if when they were buying the flax, they knew that it was really yours, so it means that they're intending to be mocking the money, not to the flax seller, but to you, because you're really the owner of the flax. But if they didn't know about it, and they thought it was just this guy's flax and not yours, so then they intended to be mocking the money to him, and then when he, the original owner of the flax, Gives you Rev Khan of the money, then it looks like Ribis. Tanik Mar suggests, come on, who's this like? It seems to be it's like Bene Marava. The Amri they had said, And in essence, this line means, as we explained yesterday, that according to Marava, the Khamaner Yisrael, when a person sells something, he intends to be magnet to the person whom he thinks is the buyer, and not to the person who really is the buyer. And it seems to be the same thing over here. Since Rav told Rav Kahana, if these new flax buyers thought that they were buying it from the original owner and not from you, so that means that they're intending to be magnet of their money to him and not to you, seemingly just like Bnei Marava. However, the Gemara asks on this, how could you say this is even like Ribis? Did Rav Kahana give four and get back eight? Let's say those were the prices, Rav Kahana paid four and then later doubled in price and so now he's receiving eight. That's not what happened over here. The flax went up in value on its own. That was just the markets fluctuating. And Migzal goes Lua, the original owner actually stole it by selling it to somebody else. And Utenan Wave Mission says very clearly, all Kazlanim have to pay the value the item was when it was stolen. And therefore, this isn't compared to Kis of ribis whatsoever. It's very simple. Rav Kahana paid for flax. That flax belongs to him. And when the original owner sold it to somebody else, that's considered like him stealing it. And since he stole it at a particular value, he has to pay that value to Rav Kahana. And that happens to be more than Rav Kahana paid for it. It's not like ribis at all in any which way. And for the clarification of what Rav was telling Rav Kahana, Amri they said, Hasam Amana Havai. Over there was really a case of Amana. Rav Kahana never did a Mashicha on the flax. We'll explain this in a moment. Rav says, a person could do an amana transaction with payrise, but a person can't do an amana transaction with money. Now, what is an amana and what happened over here? So, amana literally means trust, and that means the transaction over here was based off of trust. Rav Kahana advanced money for flax at a set price, and the seller would provide flax to Rav Kahana at this price, even if the market changes. And that's what amana is. That's what the trust is. Therefore, Rav viewed this money like a loan because the seller didn't actually have the flax at that time. He only had Rav Kahana's money, and therefore, if he's just returning money to Rav Kahana, that's a problem of ribis. He's receiving money, and he's giving more money. And that's what we mean by saying, we can't do this amana transaction if it's just going to involve money, and no mashicha is going to ever be done on an item. However, if mashicha was done on an item, so that's called doing an amana beperas, meaning Rav Kahana is allowed to advance the seller money for flax, and later on receive actual flax, that's called payrise, even if by the time he receives his flax, it's worth much more than what he paid for it. That's okay, because he just got a fixed rate for this product. And that's why I said amana beperas, but no doing amana bedamim, because that's just a money 
transaction, giving money and receiving money, and that looks like ribis. And moving on to another Mishnah, but before we start this, it's important to know that the Torah teaches if a person makes a false shvua regarding money that he has to pay, attempting to get out of paying it, and then he admits that he made this false shvua, so he has to pay the karen, which is the principal amount, he has to add a chaymesh, a fifth, onto that, and he has to also bring a carbon asham. So Mishnah tells us, a person stole even a shavu pruta from his friend, and he swore to him falsely, and then he admitted that he swore falsely, and he wants to pay him back. He has to go after this guy and physically hand him the money, even if the guy's in Madai, in a really faraway place. And he's not allowed to give it to the fellow's son or to a shliach to bring it to him. He has to make sure that he, the gazlan, puts this money physically in the fellow's hand. But he is allowed to give this money to a shliach bezdin, and the Gemara is going to explain later on. That's because if he stole a dollar from him, but he's going to have to pay $1,000 for a plane ticket to get to the guy he stole a dollar from, he's just going to say, forget about it, I'm not doing tshuva. And therefore, because of Takanus HaShavim, which we've had previously, he's allowed to give this dollar to Bezdin, and Bezdin is going to make sure that it gets to the fellow. But again, he's not allowed to give it to this fellow's son or to a shliach to bring it to the fellow. The mission continues, if this guy died, so he is allowed to return it to his fellow's Yarshim. Now, let's say, he paid the Karen, the principal amount, but he didn't pay the Chaymesh yet. Or, the fellow was Michael the Karen, but he wasn't Michael the Chaymesh. Or, he was Michael on both amounts. The Nigzel said, You don't have to pay me anything. Except for less than a Shavaprut's worth of the Karen. In all these scenarios, he doesn't have to go after him and give him this money physically because it's like he was Michael on the entire thing. However, let's say he paid the Chaymesh and he didn't pay the Karen. Or, the Nigzel was Michael on the Chaymesh, but not Michael on the Karen. Or he was Michael on both of them, except for Shavaprut's worth of the Karen, then he does have to go all the way after the Nigzel and physically hand him this money. Now here we have an interesting situation. He paid the Karen, and then he made a Shvua in regards to the Chaymesh, swearing that he gave him the Chaymesh. And that was a false Shvua. He didn't actually pay the Chaymesh. So this fellow admits, I actually swore falsely regarding the Chaymesh. He has to pay a fifth for the fifth, because the original Chaymesh that he did denied and swore falsely about, now becomes a new Karen, so he has to pay that Karen, which is the original Chaymesh, and then he has to add on a Chaymesh onto that. And he has to keep on doing this, meaning let's say he swears falsely about the second Chaymesh, and then he admits, so that second Chaymesh becomes a Karen in and of its own right, and then he would have to pay a Chaymesh on that, and he would keep on doing this, until the Karen itself becomes less than a Shavapruta. And the mission continues with Chaymesh Bikadain. The same thing applies by Bikadain. It's not just talking about a situation where Ruvain stole from Shimon. It's also talking about if Shimon deposited something by Ruvain, and Ruvain falsely swore that I don't have your pikadain or something happened to it, you would have to pay for this. Karen Chaimish and Asham. Shinamar because the Pasuk says, I be pikadain. I be Yad, the Pasuk says as well. And Susumas Yad is a halva. I be gazel, or something stolen. I Ashakas Amisai. Ashakas Amisai has to do with wages being paid. I bunts Aveda, or he found an Aveda, the Pasuk says. Vikichesh Bani denied it. Vinish Baal Shekhar, and he swore falsely. In all these situations, Harizim Mishalim Karen Vachaimesh, the Asham. He has to pay Karen Chaimesh, and he has to bring a carbon Asham. Now the Gemara makes an inference from the Mishnah. Nishbaloi in. Loi Nishbaloi. It's mashma that if he swore falsely, so then he has to take this money and ensure that it gets to the nigzel. However, if he didn't swear falsely, it's mashma that if he wants to return that which he stole, he doesn't have to physically put it in the guy's hand, and he can appoint a shliach for that. Now, money, who would the mishnah be like? Loy Reb from Loy Kiva. It seems to be not like Reb or Reb Kiva. Ditanya, it's really Ditanan. We have a mishnah. If a person stole from one of five people, and he doesn't know which one he stole from, and each guy says, "Oh, you stole from me." Tarfin says he could just take the stolen amount of money or the item and put it in between them and he could walk away and they have to work out between them who he really stole from. Whereas 
Kiva Rabbi Kiva argues and says, This is not the way to take him out of an Avera. He has to pay this Gzela to each and every person. Even though he only stole from one of them, he has to pay each one of them the Gzela. So now we take these opinions and we try to plug them into our Mishnah. Money, who would our Mishnah be like? Tarfin, if you want to say it's Rabbi Tarfin, or Rabbi Tarfin would say in our Mishnah, even if he swore falsely and admitted that he owes money, still, Amar Rabbi Tarfin would say, that all the Gazan has to do is put the Gzela down and he could walk away. Meaning he doesn't have to ensure that the thing that he stole reaches the fellow's hand. And Rabbi Kiva, if you want to say Mishnah's Rabbi Kiva, well, Rabbi Kiva would still say, that he has to pay the Gzela to each and every one of them. In other words, he would have to make sure that the Gzela reaches its rightful owner, and therefore Mishnah can't be Rabbi Kiva either. Because the inference from the Mishnah was that if he didn't swear, then he doesn't have to go all the way to Madai to give the Gzela back, and he can appoint the Shliach. Second so, verse says, Rabbi Kiva, he really are Mishnah's Rabbi Kiva. And when did Rabbi Kiva say that he has to cough up five times the amount of the Gzela to ensure that the Gzela reaches the one whom he stole it from? That's only where he actually made a false shvua, just like our Mishnah. My time on, why would that be? That's because the Amor says, To whom it belongs, he shall give it on the day of his Ashma. And the day of his Ashma is referring to making a false shvua. Now we just explain the other opinion, Reb Tarfin, according to Reb Tarfin, even if the person did swear of the Rabban Takanta, the Rabbanan still enacted their Takana. And what was their Takana? says, the Chacham made a great Takana, and we explain this in the Mishnah, that if the expenses of getting to the Nigzal are going to be more than the actual Karen, than what was actually stolen, so then Mishalom Karen V'chaymish L'Bezdin, the Karen V'chaymish can be paid to Bezdin, umevi Ashamai, and he can bring his Asham, Umeschaperlai, and that's going to be a Kapara for him, because again, if we're going to require him to travel all the way to the Nigzal and pay crazy amounts of money, just to return what was stolen, so he's just not going to do Tshuva. And same thing over here in Shittas Reb Tarfin. This fellow stole from one of five people, he doesn't know whom he stole from, if he has to pay to every single one of those five people, he's just not going to do Tshuva, and therefore we made this Takano that all he has to do is place a stolen object or the stolen money in the middle, and they're going to have to work it out among themselves. Now we just explained Rabbi Kiva, how does Rabbi Kiva respond to this? Where did Rabbanan make this Takano? That's only if he knows whom he stole from, that's because eventually the money is going to get to its master, and we just don't require the Goslin to spend tons of money getting it to the real owner himself, and that's why he can give it to Bezdin, and Bezdin is responsible for getting the money to the real owner. Whereas Gazlach and Chamisha, if Ruvain stole from one of five people, and he himself doesn't know who he stole from, in this situation, just putting down the money on the table and walking away doesn't ensure that he's paying the right person back. The Rabbanan didn't make this Takana, and therefore he would have to cough up five times the amount that he stole. So now we're understanding that Rabbi Kiva and Rabbi Tarfin differ only in a case where a false rule was made, and Rabbi Kiva requires full payment to be made, whereas Rabbi Tarfin would apply to Karnas Tashavim, and therefore our mission is Rabbi Kiva. However, Master of Hunabar Yehuda, he asks the following, Rabbi Shimon Lazar, Rabbi Shimon Lazar says, Rabbi Kiva and Rabbi Tarfin don't argue in the following case, where he bought an item from one of five sellers, and he doesn't know which one he bought it from, he could simply take the money that he owes for this item, put it in between them, and walk away. What's the case they argue about? Where he stole from one of five people, he doesn't know which one he stole from. Tarfin says, He leaves the money in between them and he walks away. Rabbi Kiva and Rabbi Kiva says, He doesn't have a takana until he pays back every single one of them. If you want to say, the whole machlekes between Rabbi Kiva and Tarfin is only when the fellow made a false shvua, then what's the difference between buying an item and not knowing whom he bought it from and stealing and not knowing whom he stole it from? You should have to pay everyone back in both situations. And we don't say that. So it must be the argument. 
argue even where there was no shvuah made. But furthermore, Masav Rav, Rav asked the following question. There's a story with a chassid, the keyword over here being chassid, who bought an item from one or two people, and he doesn't know whom he bought it from. And he came to Tarfin, Amar Lord Tarfin told him, You could just leave the money of your purchase in front of them, and they have to work it out. told him, You don't have a until you pay each one of them. Now, if you want to say we're talking about a case where the fellow made a false shvua, and that's why we have machlekes of your tarfin and rebekiva, well, chassid mi mishtaba b'shikra, does a chassid swear falsely? We call this guy a chassid. Chassid doesn't swear falsely, and v'chitim mi mishtaba v'hadar hava chassid. If you want to say that first he swore, and then afterwards he became a chassid, well, that can't be either, because v'ha kol hechada amrin ma'is b'chassid echad, anytime we say there was a story with a certain chassid, ay rebi hudim b'bava, ay rebi hudim b'bava, ay it either was with rebi hudim b'bava, or with rebi hudim b'bava, rebi hudim b'bava, rebi hudim b'bava, rebi case that there was a false shvua. So Masri Machlech Sriptafan Rebbe Kiva is even when there was no false shvua. So here's a Mishnah like, the Gemara switches it around, El Elam Riptarfin, he, really our Mishnah's Riptarfin, Umad Riptarfin, Riptarfin agrees, Hechadishtaba, that if a person swore falsely, then he would have to ensure 100% that the Gzela, the thing that was stolen, is returned to the Gazlan. And my time away is that, Dom Rekos Pazak says, La Sherhu Light, Nenubi Amashmasai, to whom it belongs to, he has to give it on the day of his guilt. And therefore, in the case of our Mishnah, it's where he swore falsely, he has to go after the Nigzal, even all the way to Madai, to ensure he returns the stolen object. Whereas Rabbi Kiva, he holds, Afagav Mishtaba Kanis, even if the guy didn't swear falsely, we still knas him that he has to ensure to pay back every single person here, and that's even if there's five people being tabea from him, and he gets that knas, again, even though he didn't swear. Now the Gemara asks, Rabbi Tarfin Mechti, according to Rabbi Tarfin, let's see, Hechadim Mishtaba, even in a case where the fellow swore falsely, still not sufficient if he didn't admit. In other words, the main focus over here is not whether or not the guy swore falsely, because even in a case where the fellow swore falsely, we still have to have him admitting, oh, by the way, I swore falsely, I want to do tshuva. As therefore, my Iri of Anishba, why is it that we have to be saying that he swore falsely? And that's the key fact over here in Reb Tarfin. I feel bullish Nami. Even if he didn't swear falsely, but he decided that he wants to do tshuva, so Reb Tarfin should also say that he has to ensure that the Gzela reaches the Nigzal, and we'd make him go all the way to Madai to do that. Titan, you have a price that says, Maj Reb Tarfin, Reb Tarfin agrees, Barmlash time, if one person admitted to two fellows, Gazalti Echad Mikhem, and I stole one from one of you two guys, Veni De is Mikhem, and I don't know which one I stole from, He has to give each one of them because he already admitted on his own. So we see very clearly from here that the chiv to ensure that a stolen object or stolen money is returned to the nigzal is not specifically in a case where the fellow swore falsely. It's where the fellow admitted and clearly wants to do tshuva. And that's when we say, okay, you have to do your utmost best to ensure that the fellow gets his thing back, even if you're going to have to pay double. So the Gemara says, you're right. El Rava says, Shani Masnis and Armashna is different. The kivan to Yad al since he knows whom he stole from, Va'adile admitted to him, kivan to Eshel since he's able to get the money back to the master. It's as if the Nigzal told the Gazlan, you libyadcha, they should be for me in your hands. Meaning when the Nigzal goes very far away, our example is Madai, when he travels all the way there, it's as if the Nigzal is telling the Gazlan, you just hold on to it until I get back from Madai. Therefore, Nishba, in the case where he swore falsely, even though it's like the Nigzal is telling the Gazlan, hold on to them, they should be for me in your hand until I get back. Since this fellow needs a Kapara, because he swore falsely and he can't get that Kapara until he makes sure that this stolen item gets back to the master. It's not sufficient until it actually gets back to the person. Whereas, if he didn't swear falsely, and then he can wait for the Nigzal to come and take it. So, we're concluding by saying that Amish is different than all the other cases brought because since the Gazlan knows who he needs to return.
return the thing to. And not only that, he swore falsely and needs to tshuva, and the only way to tshuva is by ensuring a thousand percent that the nigzal receives that which was stolen from him. So that's what we say, that the gazlan has to go out of his way to ensure that the nigzal gets his thing back. But in a different situation where there wasn't this rule made, so then we would not be so harsh with the gazlan. We're going to stop here for the day and pick up tomorrow. Continue to explain the Mishnah. For now, everyone should have a wonderful day.